Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Due to budget cuts, all further wardrobe purchases will be made at thrift shops on senior discount day only. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, it's sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. End of January, here at home in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, Carolina Panthers, Super Bowl bound. All right, that's enough sports. That's all we're doing sports-wise. Uh, in tonight's show on Pipe Parts, you got four more of the old... Uh, TV commercials for you. Then my guest is a uh, master brewer, musician, and pipe smoker, Randy Reed. We'll have him on the phone. Uh, music, because Randy's a musician. We've got some of his music that he's picked out for us. And uh, mailbag, and I'm going to take on a little Star Wars rant for you. If you haven't seen the new Star Wars Episode 7, don't worry. No, it's spoiler free. So there you go. Um, hey, listen, coming up next week, next week, uh, show will be pre-recorded because uh, next Tuesday night I will be in uh, Svenborg, Denmark, having dinner with the folks from McBaron. I'll be over in Europe uh, Saturday night through Saturday afternoon, so pretty much gone for a whole week. Uh, those of you in Copenhagen... Email me or shoot me a message on uh, brian at pipesmagazine.com if you are available on Monday, Monday, February 1st in the evening. Let's get together for a drink. Shoot me an email or uh, poke me somehow on Facebook or whatever your things you do. That's Monday, February 1st. Get together for a drink. Anybody, anybody listening in London... London, England. I will be spending Friday night the 5th in outside of uh, at Heathrow, but I'm coming into the city of London to hang out. And that's Friday night, February 5th on the way back, so shoot me a message there. Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Find me on Facebook. Do whatever, you know. Send a carrier pigeon. I don't know. Uh, smoke signals. Whatever you got. Love to hook up with some uh, folks in uh, Copenhagen and in London while I'm out on the road. And, uh, yeah, you'll have a show for those of you that are not traveling. Hey, we'll have a show for you pre-recorded and all set to go. All right, everybody, let's get the show rolling. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series, the secret ingredient, is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back, scratchy throat and all, I'm here, and 
for pipe parts. As I said, we'll talk about uh, we'll do we'll do four more of those old vintage commercials. And the first one we're going to start off with is a St. Bruno ad. And picture this, it's a uh, pipe smoker stationed in the Arctic or somewhere really cold and snowy. And what you're going to hear is him uh, rustling around through his pouch of tobacco that's empty and through the drawer of tobacco that's empty for him to realize that he's completely out of pipe tobacco. And then what does he see coming across the... Coming across the snow being pulled by Huskies, it's the uh, St. Bruno, St. Bernard with a pouch of St. Bruno tobacco. So, mostly visual, but listen in closely and you'll hear this. saint of pipe smokers and i thought saint claude was the uh, patron saint of pipe smokers but hey it maybe it's a saint bernard no according to them it's saint bruno all right the next ad is for imperial crown pipe tobacco which was a brand i hadn't heard of it's uh early 1960s and again all of these are on uh, YouTube. We'll put links down there. And there, uh, thanks to Bulky Boo, who put up Bulky's bunch of pipe tobacco commercials. Uh, this is uh, this is an old simple one, and it just shows a, a match being struck, and then a guy lighting his pipe in a dark room, and then at the end, it shows what looks like uh, <laughs> looks like a scene right out of the TV show Flipper, but it shows a guy sitting on a Maybe a bayou-looking uh, looking uh, wood or log house and uh, hanging out, sitting and smoking his pipe. Also, listen closely, closely for the polyurethane wallet. Mild, aromatic, fragrant, cool. That's Imperial Crown Pipe Tobacco, a blend of the world's finest pipe tobaccos. Imperial Crown Aromatic Flake. Imperial Crown Aromatic Pre-Rubbed or Imperial Crown Aromatic Pre-Rubbed in the Polythene Wallet. All packs are flavor-sealed. Enjoy Imperial Crown Pipe Tobacco. Want to know what a polythene wallet is? <laughs> it's better known as a plastic roll-up pouch. Uh, anyway, all right, the uh, third one. It will do is for Captain Black Pipe Tobacco, and it features uh, baseball legend, player, and manager Billy Martin back before he went to the evil New York Yankees, and the scenes in between cut back and forth between him standing in a study, smoking and talking, and his baseball career, which he was known for his very passionate antics on the field. So this is Billy Martin for Captain Black. You know, I'm really a nice, easy-going guy. Like you, I enjoy a little peace and quiet. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So it's good I've got my Captain Black. It's always cool smoking. It never bites me. And you never have to inhale. So if you're not getting all the peace and quiet you want, hey, relax and enjoy a pipe full of Captain Black. Never a bite in a bowl. So last week we had, or two weeks ago, we had George Burns talking about his uh, curtains. Now we got Billy Martin talking about how calm and relaxing he is, <laughs> really. Um, okay, the last one is um, Benson and Hedges, Mellow, Virginia. And it starts out with a beautiful drawer being pulled open and pans across these pipe shapes that it's going to talk about. And just listen through it and enjoy. These days you rarely see a Zulu in our pubs and clubs. The church warden's been excommunicated. The Dublin sent to Coventry. However, perhaps we can help to reinstate these homely briars by recommending a tobacco which brings out the best in any pipe. 
Mellow Virginia is neither harsh nor mild, but cool and satisfying. Who knows, with our tobacco and your spirit of adventure, even the Meerschaum could make a comeback. Did you catch that part at the end? Now, who knows, even with her spirit of adventure, even a Meerschaum could make a comeback. If I was a tobacco executive at a very large tobacco company, oh, wait, I am, uh, and I came up with an ad that admitted that a part of the pipe world was going out of favor and falling apart or disappearing, I'd smack myself, then I'd fire myself, and then I'd call my mother and talk bad about me. That is the absolute worst line at the end of an absolutely beautiful ad where they're showing all these classic briars and all these really good tobaccos and showing it hand-packed. And then they're starting to admit defeat that pipe smoking may be on the downturn. And, of course, this was the 1970s. So Benson and Hedges probably getting run into the ground by some cigarette people that were running the pipe tobacco division. Anyway, uh, check those out on YouTube. If you want, let me know. We'll do more in, uh, in a future episode. All right, in just a minute, Randy Reed will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Barron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of Modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining me, my guest tonight is Randy Reed and Randy is a musician, a brewer and a pipe smoker and I'm excited because Randy, this is really the first time you have you and I have met, so welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. All right, so where did you where did you grow up? And uh, I'm assuming the the love of music came first in your life. Absolutely, yes. Um, I spent probably most of my life in Wisconsin, southeast Wisconsin, Milwaukee area, and. Um, I moved out to Washington State, which is where I live now, uh, back in 1990, to follow my brewing career, so I've been here ever since. But uh, I first became interested in music through my mother, who was a pianist, and she wanted me to play the piano, following after her. So at about age five or so, I embarked on playing the piano and played that for a number of years. And when I was in grade school, the, the parents wanted me to play something that was more portable than, uh, than the piano. And they wanted me to play the saxophone and follow in the footsteps of my cousin, who had played saxophone and worked his way through school uh, doing gigs and so forth. And so I took up the saxophone, but didn't really care for it at all. You know, it was one of those things that your folks made you play, and I hated to practice, and didn't like the way the mouthpiece felt and all of this. But I played that for a number of years until I got interested in playing the sousaphone. 
of all things, uh, when I was in uh, junior high school and, and sort of segued into that, Tubby to Tuba, and played that uh, all the way through my high school years. But uh, giving up the saxophone was something that, that annoyed my parents, and they wanted me to play something. So one night at supper, they asked me, well, you know, we want you to play something, uh, because I had put the piano on the side for the time being, and it was just playing the tuba, but that was something I just did while I was in school, and I didn't have any dreams of being, you know, a concert tuba, tuba player. And without even thinking about it, I said, well, I want to play the guitar. So this was in the, uh, the early 60s, and of course I was interested in pop music, but I never really considered the possibility of playing guitar. So off we went to the music store, and the salesman there convinced my mom, who took me, and uh, they, were, they were pushing me to play the bass, because I'll remember this until the day I die. The salesman said, you know, guitarists are a dime a dozen, but if he plays bass, he'll be in demand. So what did I know, guitar or bass? Uh, I, had, I had no preconceived ideas about any of this. So we rented a bass, and I started taking lessons, and really enjoyed it. I just took to it immediately. It was one of those things that came very natural to me. And uh, I, I was playing the bass constantly after I got home from school on the weekends. And after about a year and a half, uh, my teacher, uh, my, my bass teacher, who was also a guitarist, said that, you know what, I've, I've taught you everything that I can on the bass. Uh, you're able to listen to records and take the bass parts off by ear now, uh, so I'd like you to start to learn the guitar, the six string. Well, I wasn't really very um, interested in playing the guitar because I was very happy playing bass, but nonetheless, I thought, well, why not? So he loaned me one of his electric guitars, and I started playing that, and after a short time, it just became an obsession to me. <laughs> and uh, eventually... Uh, got my own guitar and uh, I was I was I was just playing guitar constantly I would come home from school and play until supper after supper I'd go back and play until it was time to go to bed played all during the weekend and the guitar just uh, became a passion for me and I I guess I'm one of those quick studies you know everything came pretty easily to me uh, playing a lot by ear picking songs off of records, and at age 15, my instructor thought that I would be a great candidate to replace one of the teachers at a local music store. So I started actually teaching the guitar at age 15 before I even had my driver's license. And uh, I took over the students from another teacher who was leaving uh, at this music store at which I was learning, uh, from my, my old instructor, and uh, just sort of went from there. Uh, got in bands, uh, learned a lot about different styles of music, and at one point uh, uh, playing the guitar was almost a full-time endeavor for me. I was playing in a band, and I had a full teaching load, so it was actually my primary income for many years. Uh, so it's it's remained so ever since, and uh, I've, I've played other instruments. I went back to keyboards. Uh, I play a lot of different string instruments, mandolin, of course, the bass, bazooki, and uh, I've also picked up the flute. So uh, the, the guitar is really my primary instrument, though. That's That's really what I'm most accomplished at. But you're absolutely proof to what I believe is you're either born with the gift or not and the people that are not yeah you can learn how to play an instrument but the people that have the gift you can just pick up an instrument and go that's pretty accurate as far as i'm concerned you you, you either got it or you don't all right so when do how do we get into uh into making beer well i was i was always a lover of beer ever since uh, I was of age. And, of course, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, when I first started drinking beer, I, I might add that I didn't even like beer until I was 18. I couldn't stand the taste of it. But there was just something 
that happened around that time that I acquired the taste. And back then, this is way, way before the craft breweries, microbreweries came on the scene, I was drinking mainstream beer because that's what everybody drank. And being in Milwaukee, uh, you had your three big breweries back then. There was Pabst, there was Miller, and there was Schlitz. And Pabst was the drink of the working man. That That was the beer that was probably the most popular in Milwaukee at that time. And it had kind of a hearty flavor compared to the other two, and I liked that. I didn't have any vocabulary, no way of expressing what I was tasting. All I know is I liked it. But right about that time, I started to appreciate even more the the beers from the small regional breweries in Wisconsin. At at that time, we had had quite a lot of those. And they had a more unique flavor. And I I discovered all of the different variation in the the kind of products that, that they made and appreciated them even more than the the big sellers at that time. And um, it was right about this time uh, that I discovered imported beers, and I was just blown away at the complexity of them, you know, the German beers in particular. uh, Milwaukee having been, you know, settled by Germans, there was quite a lot of German beers that you could get, uh, not only at the taverns, but at the, uh, the package stores, and I discovered a whole new world there. Well, the tipping point really for me came in 1979. I went to England for the first time and discovered the cask condition real ales that they have over there. And I was just astounded at how good they were and how much better they were than what I could get at home from even the, the regional breweries uh, in Wisconsin. And I brought back with me a passion for that beer, which I could not get at that time uh, in Milwaukee or anywhere in the United States, for that matter. Uh, He said, cast-conditioned beer to to anybody, they'd look at you like you had three heads. You know, what the heck is that? And I had made my own wine in uh, the 70s, and I I said, well, you know, if I've made good wine, uh, I ought to be able to make good beer. So just like all of us, uh, or most of us, virtually all of us in the the craft brewing industry, I started out as a home brewer. And once again, this became uh, not only a passion but an obsession. I found that I was brewing on the weekends, both Saturday and Sunday. During the week, I'd transfer uh, the beer to secondary fermentation containers, and I was uh, bottling it, and I was kegging it. And and beer was just absolutely taking over my life. And it was also one of those things that uh, fortunately came pretty easily to me. Um, I just, I found I had a knack for it, basically. And I carried on home brewing uh, for, uh, I think it was six years, and started to write articles for brewing magazines. I was a featured speaker at a regional and a national home brewing conference. And I guess I became kind of an authority on cast-conditioned British ales at that point. So the brewing was basically coming out of my ears. (laughs) Well, right about that time, I had been employed in steel fabrication, doing welding and grinding and machining, and been doing that for about 15 years. The company that I was working for at the time, uh, which lasted about 10 years, all of a sudden sold the company to uh, a different organization, and they moved the operation down to Texas, didn't take any employees, took the product line. So in a hurry, I was out of a job. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm at a crossroads in my life, and if there was ever a time that I could do something other than steel fabrication, now would be the time to do it. And at that point, uh, let's see, it was 1988. I started home brewing in 82, so now we're in 1988. And there were two craft breweries in Milwaukee at that time. Uh, One was a a brew pub making beer from malt extract, and I didn't particularly respect their product. But there was uh, the Sprecher Brewing Company, uh, who had established themselves in 1985, and they were brewing traditional Bavarian-style lagers. And resume in hand, down I went and met Randy Sprecher, the founder and the brewmaster, and uh, he'd actually heard of me through the articles that I had written for uh, home brewing magazines. 
<laughs> saw that I had a background in steel fabrication, and I guess he thought that this might be a, a pretty good combination for him. So I was, I was brought on initially um, as a, a trainee brewer, but yet having a lot of home brewing experience, uh, it was just a matter of learning the way in which they were doing things there uh, with their equipment, and being kind of a quick study as I was, uh, I came up pretty quickly. Um, the, uh, the, the, the shock for me initially was that the wage that I was hired on at at, uh, at Sprecher at that time was essentially about half, literally, of what I was uh, earning in compensation in steel fabrication. But this was my foot in the door. This was my one opportunity. And so I just bucked up and I said, okay, uh, that's fine. Let's just go from there. Well, I was... I was employed at the, the Sprecher Brewing Company for about two years. Absolutely loved what I was doing. I was brewing, I was transferring, I was cleaning tanks, I was racking, I was filtering, I was helping on the bottling line, I was loading trucks, unloading trucks, I was doing tours, I was mopping the floor. Basically, there you wore all the hats. Um, and I just, I absolutely loved what I was doing. Loved the product line. The problem for me at that point was that I saw that I was at the end of my road as far as uh, advancement was concerned, because Randy Sprecher, being the, the brewmaster and the owner, he created the beers, and he set forth the policies. I knew that I could do more, and I wanted to do more. So I thought that um, if I was going to advance myself, I could either start my own brewery, which I was keen to do, but didn't have the resources in order to do that. And I eventually was looking around, uh, uh, looking around uh, over the country uh, for another position. And in 1990, I was contacted by the principals from an independent brewery in Paulsville, Washington, which is west of Seattle, across Puget Sound, a little town called Paulsville, Scandinavian community. And the Thomas Kemper Brewery there uh, was producing lager beers. So they saw that this might be a good combination for them uh, as they needed a, a new brewmaster. And so I decided to pull up stakes and move clear across the country, um, you know, roll the dice and see what I could make of myself. And uh, it, uh, it proved to be a great thing. Uh, from the aspect of being able to stretch my legs, be in control, create the beers, uh, create the procedures. And um, it was kind of a shock uh, moving across the country at that point because I had never done anything you know, quite so adventuresome, if you will. And um, the, 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 the main issue with uh, Thomas Kemper was the, you know, the products that I created were, were wonderful, but... Uh, there was there was no money for expansion. Uh, they, had, they had kind of run into a brick wall as far as being able to fund the company properly. And they were looking around for some partners or somebody to buy them out. So in 1992, the Pyramid Brewing Company, who was uh, fairly large on the West Coast, saw that the addition of the portfolio of Thomas Kemper Loggers and pyramid ales would, would, be a, would be a great thing as far as having uh, us being under their umbrella, if you will. And so they purchased us lock, stock, and barrel. And they had the money, they had the marketing, they had the wherewithal, and they grew the company, invested in it. Uh, we were able to grow the company from about 3,000 barrels a year, which is what we were producing when I came on board, up to about 15,000 barrels within a few years. Yeah, and this was just a wild ride for me because now I thought, wow, I've arrived. And uh, it, it was just wonderful. But it was a lot of hours, too. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, I was putting in 60 to 70 hours a week, sometimes even more, working six to seven days a week, 12 and 14 hours a day. But I absolutely loved it. This was my life. This was my passion. Eventually, Pyramid got big enough that they established a new brewery in downtown Seattle, right across from what is now Safeco Field, hmm. right on the waterfront right there in Puget Sound. Found a building, 
and put in a very large facility, initially with about 60,000 barrels a year capacity, uh, which we were, grew about uh, double that amount to about 120,000 barrels a year, and had a, had a large ale house in it, and they wanted me to run that instead of the Paulsville facility. So now I found myself in the role of plant manager, um, still in control of the, the products, still in control of the product line and the procedures and everything. So now I was, I was commuting across Puget Sound from my home in Paulsville, uh, have to take a ferry. So it was, it was a very long day um, doing all of that, but uh, once again, I absolutely loved it. There was a big change, however, that happened with Pyramid in 1995 when they went public. And after they went public, the corporate mindset set in. Yeah. And now they started to act like a big corporation uh, with everything that that means. And all the departments had their own agendas and their own little fiefdoms, and we started to become ruled in production, that is, by the marketing department, rather than being driven by the creativity of the brewers. And uh, in 1996, we had a large expansion internally where we put in a new bottling line with all the bells and whistles, and it was about 1996 that the, the craft brewing scene hit a wall. And what I mean by that is that there was such a proliferation of breweries at that time that up until that time, nobody could make enough beer. You'd put in the capacity, you'd, you'd brew more beer, and you still needed more. And everybody was going through these same changes, not just not just Pyramid, all across the country. New breweries were popping up. People were expanding, uh, bringing out larger product lines. And all of a sudden, uh, where was the shelf space? Where were the, where were the uh, opportunities for establishing yourself in draft? And it got, it got very cutthroat. And there was a kind of a shakeup at the company that happened about a year later when they decided that they needed to have a new corporate structure. And so they brought in a new uh, CFO, and he came from a much larger company, and he decided to clean house. And he went from the top down. Uh, we had five or six vice presidents, and one by one they all went away within about a month's time. Uh, vice President of Marketing, Vice President of Sales, Vice President of Alehouse Operations, Vice President of Packaging, Vice President of Brewery Operations. And I got caught in that crossfire. Um, so in 1997, and I, was, uh, I had been kicked upstairs, I might add, at that time. I was now corporate brewmaster. And my role at that time primarily was more of a brand ambassador than a brewer. And they flew me all over the country, out to the East Coast, uh, down to California. California almost seemed like a second home to me at that point. Uh, Texas, uh, Georgia, the Midwest. Uh, I was all over the place for a long time. In fact, it was almost like a commute for me. I'd get up on Monday morning, I'd go to the airport, I'd catch a plane, fly someplace, and do market support, brewmaster dinners, you know, meet the accounts, do the glad handing, and put on the dog and pony show. Yep. And I found that I had moved so far away from my love of brewing, being in the boots, getting full of yeast and getting wet and pulling the handles, uh, that I, I wondered where I was anymore. You know, I, I, people say, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> and in a lot of respects, that's true because. I had found myself on the top of the ladder. And you know what? There's a lot of people who would really enjoy this sort of lifestyle. You're out partying. You know, you've got the company credit card. And it, it can be a wonderful thing if you're a gregarious, outgoing sort of a person. Uh, but where I am intrinsically as a brewer is that I want to make the beers. I want to make the decisions. I want to be on the floor. And I had moved so far away from there that uh, I, I was looking around saying, well, <laughs> this isn't what I got into the 
the business to do. So when the shakeup occurred uh, and uh, everybody got their pink slips, uh, they eliminated my position, which was probably about the best thing that could have happened for me because I was more than ready to go at that point. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was becoming very disillusioned with the whole thing. And I saw that my only salvation would be to get back into this on the level that I got into it in the first place, which is to be a brewer, to be in the boots. And within a few weeks after Pyramid and I departed from each other, uh, there was an opportunity at a new brewery in the town of Snoqualmie, Washington, which is about 30 miles due east of Seattle, just before uh, the foothills of the Cascades. And uh, the Snoqualmie Brewing Company had just established themselves with the aid of a consultant, but they were looking for a brewer. And at that point, they were very small. In fact, they only needed one production employee, and that was me. And I just saw this as a tremendous opportunity for myself. So I, I embraced it with both hands. Uh, Snoqualmie is kind of an odd name for most people to wrap their their lips around, but it's uh, an Indian word from uh, the Snoqualmie tribe, which literally means the Valley of the Moon. So we're in the valley um, just before the Cascade foothills, and it's it's just wonderful out here from uh, you know the standpoint of being kind of a rural community. Uh, you can look up and you can see the foothills, and uh, it's it's just very beautiful. So in uh, 1998, January of 98, I came on board uh, with Snoqualmie, and I've been here ever since. So we're going on 18 years, and we've grown the brewery. I'm no longer the sole employee, but uh, we're still somewhat small on the scale of things. I think we produced about 4,000 uh, barrels of beer last year. But it gave me the opportunity to get back into this line of work on the basis of why I got in into, into it in the first place, and that's to, to brew the beers, to be on the floor. Uh, it's still quite physical, and uh, uh, that's part of what I like about it. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about the, uh, the beers that you're making, and we'll talk a little pipe smoking, too. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. If you're looking for quality... If you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupOfJoes.com, and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupOfJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, Randy, you're, you're a true Renaissance person. Uh, but when did you get started smoking a pipe? That's probably around 96 or 97, and the catalyst for that was probably my dad, because my dad smoked a pipe as long as I can remember. And my dad was a one-brand man. Uh, he smoked Yulee's. 255, yeah. nothing else. And I remember as a kid, you know, 10, 11-year-old kid, being able to go into the drugstore and buy a pouch of his favorite 
blend for him for Christmas or his birthday. Imagine that these days, a kid going into a store and being able to purchase tobacco. But, yeah. you know, that's how it was in those days. So when I started, uh, when I took up the pipe, I started with what my dad smoked because I thought, well, you know, if it was good enough for my dad, it's good enough for me. And I enjoyed it. Uh, I had one pipe that I bought uh, on one of my trips to England, uh, a cheap little Chacombe. Uh, but I still have that pipe, and I still like Yulee's 255, although it's not the only brand that I do smoke. Matt, and, is, uh, is pipe smoking a daily routine for you, or is it something that you do when you got time to relax? I usually have two bowls a day, one after I get home from work and one just after supper. However, on the weekends, depending on my time, uh, I might have three bowls a day or, or perhaps even four, but... I'm not one of those people who can smoke a pipe continually because my palate gets burnt out fairly easily, and then you know nothing tastes like anything. So three bowls a day is, is probably my max, four if I'm really pushing it, but uh, it does beat me up the next day. It, it takes me a while for my palate to recover if I've had four bowls the previous day. So two is a good average for me, I guess. And when you're, when you're brewing beer, you need your palate to taste test i i would assume or hope that's absolutely right i can't have a pipe and be able to evaluate the beer properly so i certainly don't smoke at work i don't smoke before work uh yeah your palate does need to be fresh because uh, pipe smoking or cigar smoking for that matter just dulls the palate immediately thereafter uh, and with the pipe smoking, do you dabble around different types of pipe tobaccos, or are you pretty much a one style? I, I probably smoke more Virginia uh, flake, uh, you know, Ginnies, and uh, uh, Vapors are, are probably the, the two varieties that I enjoy most often. And uh, I do appreciate a good burly blend. When I was smoking initially back in uh, around 2000, 2001, I was really into Latakia. Uh, but over the past five years or so, I've, I've moved away from that. Uh, for me, I find that with the Latakia blend, uh, if, the Latak if the blend has Latakia beyond a certain point, a certain percentage, it just overwhelms everything, and, and I can't pick out the other components of the blend, and it becomes monodimensional for me. So I, I'm pretty much off Latakia these days. So it's uh, Virginia and Vapors probably constitute 75% of what I smoke. And I have a lot of different uh, brands that I enjoy. I'm not just a one-brand man in that respect either. Have you ever uh, thought about pairing specific brews with specific styles of pipe tobacco? I've been asked that before, and, um, you know, I, I think the answer, at least for me personally, lies in the fact that when I smoke a pipe, I want to smoke a pipe. I don't want to have anything else except maybe plain water with it, because it does change the way that uh, the beverage comes across the palate. And uh, I've, I've never been one to sit down and have, you know, a beer with a pipe or, you know, whiskey or anything like that with a pipe. It's it's just, I, I want to enjoy the experience for what it is uh, by itself. Let's finish this up and talk about the uh, talk about the offerings of beers that you have right now and the website for Snoqualmie Brewery is fallsale.com and there's a bunch of information on there. There's even an email address uh, for you, so I'm assuming we can uh, email you and ask you questions. Um, however, distribution is kind of just in the Pacific Northwest, correct? Correct. And, uh, pardon me, uh, it's fallsbrew.com. Yeah. Uh, yes, you can, you, can certainly, you can certainly email me with any other questions. So I invite everybody to take a look at the website, email Randy if you've got any questions for him. Randy, we'll wrap this up with the uh, fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? You bet. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe? Yep. 
probably uh, the one that I smoke the most is a Randy Wiley. Uh, it's a kind of a Dublin shape. It's kind of a hybrid uh, Dublin um, bulldog, if you will. Uh, that one has seen the most use. But uh, I, I probably enjoy the American Carvers more than anybody else. Uh, I've got uh, a bunch of Martinsky pipes that I enjoy a lot. I've got a Jesse Jones pipe that's wonderful. I have a couple of uh, Growlies, uh, Brian G. Rowley. I have a couple of Scotty Purcells. So I, I really support the American Carvers. What's your favorite tobacco? Right at the moment, I probably smoke more of the McClellan's 2015 bulk than anything else because it's uh, probably my favorite vapor. This will be a tough question for you. What's your favorite drink? <laughs> Beer, of course. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and probably one that you brew yourself. Absolutely. I prefer my own beers 90% uh, of the time. I do keep in touch with what other people are doing, but I brew the beers that I want to drink, and that's good enough for me. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Oh, music, without a doubt. And I like to concentrate on the music. I don't like to have any other distractions. Some people will use music as a background, and I don't do that, because if it's worth listening to, it's worth paying attention to. Final question. Do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking-related memory? My dad. I loved the smell of his pipe when I was a kid. Um, I couldn't describe it, but all I knew is that I liked it. <laughs> and before you go, the uh, music for tonight is some of your music, so can you tell us briefly what you, what you sent me and uh, what we're going to listen to? Yes, uh, I've produced a number of my own CDs, and I'm working on another project right now, which is primarily going to be an acoustic project, and the, uh, the particular song that uh, I'm, I'm really very happy with is uh, what I call one of my sailing songs. I'm not a sailor, um, so it's more fantasy uh, than anything else, but it's a song called Dark Black Night. And it's all about a sailor uh, back back in the days of the, 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 the big masted ships, um, <laughs> sailing all over the world, uh, running cargo, and the experiences that he's had uh, while on the sailing ship. So it's called Dark Black Night, and I hope you enjoy it. Randy, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, stay tuned. We'll be uh, playing the music shortly. Thanks so very much. I appreciate it. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. It's Saturday morning at the crack of dawn. The cool chill of night still clings to the air as the sun slowly rises over the misty surface of the lake. You've waited all week for just this moment. You know that today is going to be epic. Everything is here to ensure perfection, from the nice full cooler packed with your favorite suds to the other empty one, waiting to be filled with piles of freshly caught fish. Reaching into your pocket, you pull out your trusty briar and fill it with your favorite tobacco aptly named Great Outdoors. It is the perfect smoke for moments like these. A strike, a flash, and your tobacco is lit as the delicious mixture ignites and swirls over your tongue and the deep, rich burleys with a hint of sweet Virginia dance in your mouth. You smile, casting your first line into the water. The slowly widening ripples begin to stir as you feel the first bite of the day tug at your line. Now you know it truly is going to be a good day and a perfect time to enjoy the simple yet unmatchable pleasures of the great outdoors. Great Outdoors is another fine quality pipe tobacco manufactured by Sudliff, America's oldest tobacco company, and is available at fine tobacconists everywhere. Enjoy your perfect day by purchasing a tin today. <laughs> This is Internet Radio.
And I am back. Uh, you know, I only talked to Randy a little bit, maybe for 15 minutes before the interview, and just a just a great guy. Man. I really want to get up there and get up to Washington State and hang out with him and meet him in person. And speaking of Randy, here's Randy Reed. a lad of ten when I first went sailing cabin boy to a crew of men cargo ships and whaling father was a sailing man and my brothers three salt and spray was in our blood so we went to sea Seven-masted ships I sailed round the Cape of Horn. Casks of rum were in our hold, bound for foreign shores. Silk and spices from the east, gold and grain we bore. Years at sea, they hardened me, ne'er a day ashore. Many's the day, making little headway, when the wind was failing. Resort for a call into port, but I'd rather be sailing. Then came the gales, and we tossed on the waves. Yet I'd take no fright. So pass me some hail, and off we will sail into the dark of the night. Oh, we, my Marie, now I leave on the tide. Then one day home I'll sail, and you'll be my bride. Storms will come and will run, charting a course by moonlight. And the wind will blow, off will go, into the dark black night.
I hope we can get more uh, more music like that from Randy for uh, future episodes. Mm, message from the dark side there is. And a uh, short little mailbag before we get into the rant on uh, Star Wars. Uh, Lonesome Piper writes, Another great show, nice pipe parts. I don't particularly love bamboo shanks. Some of them remind me of skeleton bones. I could see that. Uh, but I can't deny it, there are some very nice ones out there. Interesting interview, I liked his initial approach to pipe making, like what pipe maker John Crosby also said some weeks ago, make many of them as fast as you can until you get the hang of it. Yeah, that's uh, kind of like what we did with this radio show. Uh, anyway, he writes, mailbag, it was fun to hear the connection of the German Christmas tradition. <laughs> Who would think of that? Yeah, yeah Walgreens and German Christmas. Um, music. Wow, now we're talking. I can't wait to hear the music of the rest of that list. And uh, Dino sent me another list, so we are good to go for, oh, probably uh, into the summer. Um, rant, communication is an art. Different expressions could sound completely different depending on the listener. We all could use some help in translating our feelings properly. Yes, we could. Uh, John Seiler writes... Hi, Brian. I've had two briar pipes with bamboo shanks and have not found anything exciting about them. I do not know Jared nor his pipes, so I can't really comment on them. His story is similar to so many others you've interviewed. Music alone together was quite the jazzy tune. Rant, one's favorite, is not necessarily the best, as you said. It is all personal opinion. Good show. It's been a beep, 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 cold here in the Berg. I had to wait to listen to the show until we at least got into the teens. Yeah, bless you folks up north. Boy, has it been tough. Um, on the other hand, we got we got like a five-month-long fall, so now winter's just catching up on it. Uh, Voorhees writes... Great show, Brian Funny. I usually listen to your show Saturday mornings. I tried listening to the show the night it airs. This never works out as I stretch out my vintage as I stretch out on my vintage crushed red velvet couch and your voice puts me instantly to sleep. Ha ha ha. Um I'm vintage crushed red velvet couch. Wow. That's all I gotta say right there. Uh, anyway, he goes on to say, I blame the couch, not you. Right, right, right. Uh, music was awesome. See you at the Briary event on February 20th. Yeah, speaking of that, the Briary event. I will be there for International Pipe Smoking Day in, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Come by the Briary. I'll be there all day. I have some little goodies and samples and deals and stuff. Also that same day in uh, St. Louis, the St. Louis Pipe Show is on February 20th. Uh, Check the shows, uh, the upcoming shows page on Pipes Magazine. Uh, The Pipe Events page has been completely updated, which will also include the Newark Show on March 12th. New York Pipe Show in Newark, New Jersey on March 12th. And April 9th, the Raleigh Pipe Show, which it looks like I actually get to go to it this year. And then, of course, start planning ahead. Yeah, Chicago's not too far around the corner, April 27th to May 1st slash 2nd. Uh, Keep those iTunes reviews and uh, ratings coming, please. Do the same thing on Stitcher for us. Share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all of your friends uh, next week's show, got a little announcement for you, but it'll probably have broken by then. But uh, by the time next week comes around, Amphora Pipe Tobacco should be back. There's a little teaser for you. All right, in just a minute, rant time. Meet Josh. 
Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at one 366 0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. I like the Star Wars movies more than most people. I don't love them. I mean, I can't name all the Ewoks, and I couldn't tell you what the uh, third planet was in the second movie, but I like Star Wars, and I was excited to see this new Star Wars movie. And I like it enough that I will go see it one more time in the theater, because I need to see it one more time in the theater before I wait for it to come out on DVD and I buy it. Um, I don't mind some of the um, fanciful, uh, the fanciful lacks of uh, continuity that you're supposed to just agree with. You know, like for example, oh, in Episode Three, the stormtroopers could kill Jedi, but by the time twenty years later had gone by in Episode Four, the stormtroopers couldn't hit the broadside of a battleship with without a microscope and 11 of them pointing in that direction. Now, what does bother me? Here's what bothers me. R2-D2 and now BB-8 are, uh, are, uh, are droids. They're, uh, they're astro-droids, and they are supposed to be able to communicate with the ships and all that stuff. Now, there's been several times in several different movies where... R2-D2 has been given direct human in human English, uh, direct orders in English, and responds to them and does exactly what it is. In response to that, though, what does he do? He does his little beep, 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 beep stuff. All right, this is where the breakdown gets me, and this is what bothers me. If these are, uh, if these astro droids are so smart that they can understand English, why can't they speak English back? If you can understand it, you should be able to speak it back instead of your cute little beep, 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 beep stuff. Anyway, that's that's the big continuity error that I have. Uh, I don't mind that. Don't mind uh, Princess Leia in the uh, slave metal bikini. Don't mind several of the other little lapses in continuity. And uh, I call them... Uh, uh, fantasy uh, fantasy gaps where you're just supposed to say, okay, it's Star Wars, fine, no problem. But let's have the smart droids that understand English speak it back. All right, there you go. Uh, once again, next week, um, listen, if you're, uh, you know, next week pre-recorded, and uh, next Monday, if you're in uh, Copenhagen, if you live there and want to get together for a drink, shoot me a message. And uh, the following Friday, if you're in London and want to get together for a drink or something, shoot me another message. Uh, With all that, hey, thank you very much to Randy Reed for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. And until next time.
when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Oh, this is gonna be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making.